Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are live here on the MMA Industry Podcast. Today is Thursday, May 24th, and I'm your host, as always, James Lynch. And today i got a very awesome guest to have here on the show, someone I've wanted to get on for a while. He's actually my boss uh, over at uh, Fansided and the Sports Illustrated MMA. He's the managing editor over there. I am joined today by Jose Youngs. Uh, Jose, how are you, man? Uh, it's very early out here. and it, Well, I guess it's not early anymore. I just feel like I've been up for a very long time in Arizona. It's nice, cool, I think like 98 degrees today, so it's not quite triple digits, but it's, it's been good, man. Lots of air conditioning, I bet, right? Oh, it's you... Like you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, no, you got to you got to stay cool uh, in that desert heat. Um, so I always start the show off with uh, how you and I met, and I actually remember uh, us meeting uh, for the first time uh, very vividly. Actually, um, I now the event is where I might might get kind of mixed up, but was it UFC one ninety six McGregor and Diaz? I believe that's the first time we met. It was one ninety six or one ninety four. One somewhere I know it was in the MGM Grand. Yeah, the, in the in the media room, the studio A and B, and. You had you were gonna start. We were. I was writing for a site, the MMA Corner, and then I was also doing some stuff with. I was gonna do some stuff with Flow Combat, and you were gonna. You were like thinking about doing the MMA Corner, and then you were gonna do Flow Combat or something like that. And I was like, I, I recognized you from your videos, and I was like, I might as well introduce myself. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to bring up is like I vividly remember our first interaction because I remember you coming up to me and saying hi. And I'll never forget that because you were such a nice guy about it. And, uh, you know, I, I I'd like I'd seen you on you know social media and everything, but I didn't know you too well. And I just thought, wow, this was super cool that you came up and introduced yourself. So you, you made a good first impression. So that, yeah, that's something that has always stuck with me. I try and even if I'm not going to work with a person like I just try and be friendly with any, everyone because you never know. I mean, yeah. There's a lot, a lot of people like will hold grudges in this industry, not just the MMA media industry, but the media industry in general. And I've never been about that. Like, I want to see, I want to see everyone succeed. So if someone, if you're going to get a million video views and it's not for my site, that I'm still happy for you. Right. Yeah. And, and we've talked about that a bit here on the show. Uh, you know, there is a group of us who, you know, really want and maybe more than a group, but I, I'd say there's a lot of people in this industry who do want to see each other do uh, do well. And, you know, that's the cool thing. Like I talk about on here, you know, we're all friends. Like when we go to events, we try and hang out, we try and have beers. It's uh, it, it's kind of neat. You don't really get that because uh, I know I, I don't know how it is for you, but like, you know, back here where I live. I have a few friends who are like hardcore fans and, and I have a few media member friends, but you know, my, my closest friends, they, they do not give a shit about MMA. So it's like a tough sell sometimes. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like I watch, like, I remember even before I was doing the MMA, like I was like in MMA media, I would just watch every like Bellator UFC, like world series of fighting, like even strike force pride back in the day. Like I'd watch everything I could consume. MMA. I would watch and I would have a few friends that would see how passionate I was about it that would my passion would interest them and they'd like come and watch maybe once or twice but then i'd follow up like hey you want to watch again and they would say like ah, i'm busy but like i would plan my weekends around watching mma like if there was a ufc event saturday like i'm not going out saturday night and i would like start to live tweet stuff just on my own and then just snowball from there and it's still like if, if there's a ufc event saturday now i ha- a i have to work it but like it's still like i feel the same like, I still love watching the UFC and Bellator and everything. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because uh, you mentioned like sort of, you know, having to rearrange your plans. I remember like when I first moved to Toronto, this was like 10 years ago. Um, I didn't know anyone. I sort of came here on an internship and uh, I remember I wanted to watch the UFC. And this was well before like, you know, streams were available or, or other ways to watch, uh, you know, the UFC. I should just uh, point that out. Um, and uh, and so I, I went to a sports bar, but I didn't know anyone. So I, I went by myself and uh, just to watch fights just because I didn't want to miss them. And that was like the level of like hardcore fan I was that like it didn't matter. I I go to a a sports bar by myself and watch it and i remember it was the fabricio were doom brandon vericard and uh that was on in the afternoon because it was in the uk and here i am on like a two o'clock in the afternoon uh you know in toronto by myself i think the bar was like completely empty it was just me having some chicken wings and uh, i was watching some fights yeah, so it- i've been there like i've went to like when i went i went to when i was in college like i was just like i wanted to watch the ufc it was the bj penn nick diaz fight i'm like well, this is a big deal to me like nick diaz strike force champ bj penn is bj penn and i i just like went to the local sports bar and out here in arizona and the fight wasn't on it was like a it was like the diamondbacks or the coyotes or whatever sport was on and i was like hey can we put the fight on this tv and i was the only one on the bar watching it so yeah i i've been there man just sitting there with a plate of chicken wings watching ufc fights by yourself no shame in it yeah the struggle is real as they say um so let, let's talk about you and, and as far as, uh, you know, uh, your career and everything. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Where did you grow up? I uh, I can't remember exactly where it was, but where, where did you grow up and where did the interest in sports come from? Yeah, I was born and raised in Warwick, Rhode Island. Uh, like born, born there, went like kindergarten, grade school, junior high, high school. And then I left to go to Arizona State, like completely across the country. But uh, rep, I represent 401 hard. Uh, always remember where you're from. But I grew up like. I love MMA, but baseball is my sport. Like okay. Red Sox, I bleed Red Sox. Like I like I have to have the game on in my ear, like the radio, or I have to have like my um constantly swiping down for updates. Like I need my Red Sox fix every day. Like baseball offseason is a struggle for me a lot. Uh, grew up not w- really watching a lot of television. Like in terms of, I didn't consume sports through the television. We had the Boston Globe and the Providence Journal. And my dad has been a, a subscriber to Sports Illustrated his entire life. So I consumed uh, sports media through written word and written content, which is why I never really was on an on-camera guy. Like I'll do on-camera stuff, but I grew up loving, like Sean McAdams used to be the beat writer for the Providence Journal. And he was my guy, like him and Bill Reynolds where I would wake up at seven in the morning and I would wake up before my parents to go get the newspaper on the front step just to read what happened to the Red Sox the day before. And he was my guy. And then he, when he went to the Boston Globe, I was like so torn as a kid because I was really happy he got to go to the Boston Globe, but I was just so bummed I wouldn't get to read Sean McAdams anymore. But I grew up the biggest Red Sox, still am a huge Red Sox fan. Uh, obviously Celtics Bruins wasn't really a Patriots fan growing up because they were terrible. Like people forget mm-hmm. Like when I was born, they were one in 15. So like <laughs> they were not good growing up. And my dad and mom lived in Washington, D.C. for 10 years. So my dad was a Redskins Patriots fan. So like I kind of had like rooting interest for both teams. But uh, I was Red Sox, Red Sox, Celtics, Bruins were my team, the Province Friars. But I consumed all of my sports content pretty much through the newspaper and magazines. And uh, you mentioned going to ASU, uh, which is a beautiful school. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a little quick story here. So uh, growing up, I grew up in Vancouver, BC, and uh, my grandparents had a place in Mesa, Arizona. And we used to go there every spring break. And uh, they had the house up until I, I think I was in college. But I remember when I was in college, I just wanted to go tour ASU because I was like, this looks like so badass. This is in Arizona. Like, I'll just check it out. I never did like the SATs or anything. but I, And I was already in a college in Canada or university in Canada. And I toured that place. And holy crap, I'm jealous. Like, that looked like yeah. such a badass university to go to uh just beautiful buildings beautiful weather like how was that man going from you know uh, rhode island to to arizona for for uh for university oh man it was a trip at first but like my mom was was born and raised in like the mexico el paso area so her whole family lives in el paso right now Mm -hmm. and so we would visit them so like i was very familiar with the southwest and the heat and like i knew what to expect so i had been there a ton and then my mom did el paso to providence she went to Providence College and stayed there. So the thought of going across the country to South, the Southwest was not a big deal to me because my mom did it. So like I, for whatever reason, like randomly, I read my fifth grade yearbook uh, in two, like a few months ago. And my goal was to go to school in the Southwest in fifth grade, just because that was a thing. So 
it was a trip at first. The heat, you can't prepare for the heat because when you move in to college, it's in August and August in Arizona is like 118 degrees. So when you're going from like 50 degree weather to, or like not 50 degree, like 70 degree weather to 120 degree weather and you're lugging like furniture moving into the dorms, like it is crippling. Uh, but since you were there, the ASU campus expanded where we do have the main Tempe campus, but the journalism school, the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication moved to downtown Phoenix from okay. Tempe. So I'm a few blocks from it right now, and it is by far the most state-of-the-art journalism school I've ever seen. Like, I've been to Syracuse. I've been to Missouri. I went, I've been to, like, Northwestern, Northeastern, whatever it is. I've been to all those schools. I don't think they can compare to ASU in terms of, like, cutting edge. Like, they have the reputation and the professors and everything, but I really do think ASU is on the forefront of what you need to learn. And I believe I was the second class to graduate from the downtown campus, um, but it is – I can't stress how amazing that campus is and how much they've expanded. Like P- the PBS station is now out in Arizona is now out of Arizona state because the, their editing bays and their TV, like their student TV center is more advanced than the local news stations. So like wow. the local news stations will like when Barack Obama came to Arizona to, to give an interview, he did it out of the ASU studios because they were more, they were better equipped to handle all that than the local NBC Fox channels. It's um, So ASU is like, and it's named after Walter Cronkite. So it can't, it can't be bad. Yeah, no, it, I, I've heard of just in general, like how, how much of a top school it is. So that, that's pretty neat. You got to go and actually experience that. And, you know, you're a rare breed because I think a lot of people that are covering the sport right now, a lot of them didn't go to journalism school or didn't go to university. Yeah. Um, how much do you feel like that has, has helped you in your career with going to school? Because, you know, there's obviously mixed reviews about university and college. Yeah, um, I love journalism school, especially ASU. They they make the thing about ASU is they make you learn everything. So like when you go to Syracuse, like you graduate with like a print journalism or digital media or broadcast journalism. Like I had to do broadcast class. I had to take broadcast classes. I had to take digital media. I had to take print. I had to take magazine writing. So you leave knowing everything. So they really do prepare you. They really throw you into the fire, like trial by fire. Like I would have to go cover like a court case for like a DUI. Like they would make a student do that. So it's like, if you can interview a police officer about a DUI, like what is like interviewing Colby Covington? Like that's not, yeah. it's not hard once you've done all that. Um, I, I recommend journalism school, not specifically to get connections and like learn how to not like that does help, but I really think it helps polish your writing and your, yeah, your yeah. presence. Cause it really is like the minor leagues for baseball where it's like you write an article and you turn it in. It's not getting published. You're not turning into an editor. Like your teacher is reading it and saying like, these are the words you should use. Oh, you should use commas here. Like don't use like, like AP style. Like you really learn journalism 101 and how to write. And I can tell like when I read someone's writing, whether they went to journalism school or not, or whether they grew up reading because they know like proper grammar, like proper spelling, like don't spell out single digit numbers. Like, I mean, spell out single digit numbers. Don't put like a one spelled O N E like stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It really does help. And if, if you know it great, like some of the stuff I already knew, but like you, when you go into Arizona state, you have to take a grammar class. And if you get an 85 or above, you don't have to take that class. You just take a test. 95% of the students failed because like, there's so much more to grammar than we could possibly understand that like we don't realize is a rule. So it's like stuff like that, that it really just polishes you. What You could be the best writer in the world, but if you don't know how to properly format a paragraph, then I, I, I would struggle to read it. Or if you don't know how to put together an interview style, for, like long form format, it's going to be, you're going to have problems in the future. And I really do think it, it polishes you up. So I loved, I loved every second of it. Uh, did you know anyone from your graduating class that ended up uh, going to do anything big in media at all? Like anyone yeah. you could touch with still? Yeah, there's this guy, Vaughn Hilliard, who was an embed for the um, – he's like the crown jewel of the – like I, I'm so happy and proud for him because he was a guy that just like would sleep like four hours a day, like live in the editing base. He was an embed for the presidential uh, – this most recent presidential campaign uh, for uh, Trump and 
um, like Hillary Clinton and everything, where he worked for, I believe, NBC or MSNBC. So he like followed Donald Trump around, like interviewing him. Like there's like Donald Trump, like called him out like on air. So <laughs> it's like like he asked him a question and Trump gave an answer. And then like later on, Trump tweeted about him. So it's like he's by he's like he's the, he's a very big deal. I, I'm just so happy for him because he he put in the work. He he's on that political. He wanted to do politics. And that's his thing. Uh, Master Testacian. I hope I pronounced his last. I can never pronounce the last name. He became the beat writer for the Vikings and then went on to the Redskins. And now he's very high up in the Bleacher Report magazine world. Uh, so I would say those two are a big deal and then a lot of like local like abc arizona fox arizona like some people went to arkansas some people went to minnesota so obviously it's the walter cronkite school so you're gonna get a lot of broadcast journalism uh my friend brennan was the beat was like the beat writer for byu and utah football for the salt lake tribune so we're churning out a lot of guys i am by no means one of the top 15 people that came out of that school like it's hard to compete but uh there's there's so many to count that came from my graduating class. So what about MMA? When did that come on your radar as far as having interest in the sport? And, and was there like a particular event or a particular fighter that sort of drew you into the sport? Oh, for interest, I can't. I've been asked this a bunch of times. I can't pinpoint an exact moment in my life where I was like, I love MMA. Like it just kind of happens. Like I remember watching the Pride VHSs and uh like Shockwave and K1 and all that stuff. And I was just, I grew up a professional wrestling fan too. I was like a really big fan of The Rock and and Goldberg and WCW. And it kind of had that pageantry to it, but it was real. And that's what drew me to it. But there was no specific fighter. Like I didn't watch, I remember watching Ken Shamrock and Tito Ortiz, but like that's not what drew me into it. I never really had a favorite fighter growing up. Um, And then I just gradually just kept following it, kept following it, kept following it watched it in high school, would watch it in college. And eventually just when I go to journal, you go to journalism school and you love a sport, you might as well pursue a career in it. And that's what happened. That's interesting. So what was your first gig outside of school? Like whether it was an internship or anything, like what was the first media gig you had? So I got an internship at ArizonaSports.com. At the time, it was Arizona Sports, 6.20 a.m., which is the flagship station for Arizona. So they broadcast the Diamondbacks, the Coyotes, the Cardinals, the Suns, all the football, like the college football games and everything. And I just had a basic internship there. So, like, I was covering, like, like minor league baseball, like Cardinals practice. Like, when you see the scrums – with all the cameras, like when you go to Cardinals practice or you watch like a scrum at Cardinals practice, all those camera, those microphones are basically interns. They're like <laughs> asking the questions and then cutting up the audio and sending it back to the, the studio for written articles. So like I did that for a while. Um, and then they moved over to Arizona sports, 98, seven FM. They went from AM to FM and they completely rebranded their site. Like they were going to expand it. So they were going to include boxing and MMA and, like race car driving and like they just wanted to cover everything. And at this point, uh, Ryan Bader and Aaron Simpson, uh, Ryan Bader, now the Bellator light heavyweight, potentially the heavyweight champion of Bellator and former UFC, former ASU Sun Devil and Aaron Simpson, former WEC UFC and World Series of Fighting Fighter and former ASU wrestling coach. We're going to come on to do a MMA radio show every Saturday morning called the Power MMA Show because they used to be the Power MMA gym. And I was interning there and I was like, I have to be a part of this. Like I have to be involved in whether it's just running the board or like just like lining up interviews, whatever. Like I want I just I don't care if I'm paid, like if it's an internship. Cool. Um, I just want to be involved. And they were like, hell yeah, like you're come on board. So I did that for about a year and a half and then it folded, but Arizona sports kept me on as the MMA writer. So I would go, like I was like right there when Anderson Silva snapped his leg in half. I was there for Arizona sports. I was there when Anderson got knocked out. My first ever interview as their writer was with Ronda Rousey before UFC 157. Wow. So I was my, the first fight I ever covered live was Ronda's first fight in the UFC in Anaheim. So I got Ronda, I got Liz, like, and they were like, so stoked that I was like, not only knew how to write because I went to the journalism school, so I knew how to write, but that I was like so enthusiastic about it, but not to the point where I didn't know how to act. Does that make sense? So like I yeah. knew how to conduct myself in a media room. 
that's another thing like you learn like a lot of people you like i'm sure you've seen they want to be a journalist but then they act like fanboys and they like try and take pictures with fighters or like they're like they're, they they don't act professional in 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 the setting and i they were like happy that i knew like i got the interview and i was like thanks for the interview like I'll, i'm gonna write it up i didn't ask for a autograph or uh anything like that and they were pleased with that and from there it just kept they just wanted more and more and more and more uh and then me and bader like me and ryan and aaron are became good friends to the point where like i can't cover ryan's fights like i won't allow myself to cover his fights because i know I can't watch Ryan fight and be unbiased, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. So like when like when I went to when I watch him fight, I close my computer. And like I don't cheer, I don't clap. Like I hate that. That drives me insane when I hear clapping in the media or whatever. But like I just sit and watch and then as soon as this fight's over, I open my computer again because I just I couldn't do it. I would I would be disappointed in myself that I would cover a friend's fight like that. Um, but from there I started working for the MMA corner that I, like I said, and, uh, I owe them Josh and Stacy that run that site. I owe them so much where they basically just gave, like, I wrote like two articles and they were impressed and they just gave me the reins to just run with it. So I owe so much to Josh and Stacy. Uh, they were just some of the nicest human beings I've ever met. And from there I met our friend, Mike Dice at, I believe that same event you and I met at UFC 196 and then he me and him talked and then after UFC 200 I just jumped over to Fansided and it's been there ever since so pretty much I've only had three MMA media gigs they've just been long stretches and it's like meeting the right people at the right time yeah and and one of the things you talked about there and and I know that you've done before even before you were with Fansided was you you went and covered a lot of events live like you took advantage of having those credentials and you know going going to events and it also I'm sure helps that you know you live in Arizona so it's not too far yeah. from a lot a lot of the places so how many at that point like like leading up to MMA corner how many events had you covered or did that sort of happen more after that Oh man I def I would probably say so I did Arizona sports from December 20 12 to about august 2014 i bet i did 20 to 25 ufc slash bellator events from in the southwest area so like vegas la the the fox card in arizona um all those the i went to bader's fight in bangor maine (laughs) i flew all the way to i went all the way to bangor maine like if there was a fight in the Northeast, I would go see my family and then I, I would like train or drive down. So I probably did 20 to 25 events before I even joined the MMA corner. Interesting. And, yeah. and I think uh, one of the things we talked about, you know, obviously the benefits of going to university and going to like a prestigious school like you did is that, you know, you learn the guidelines and professionalism. And you talked about that there, you know, like not taking photos with fighters, you know, dressing yeah. up, things like that. Like that's something where I find a lot of people that are covering the sport you know, they didn't learn those things. So you'll see people make those mistakes. And it's not something that's, you know, most people know, but there are the few people who will, you know, wear t shirt and shorts and, you yeah. know, may, maybe be a little bit, you know, fanboy. And, you know, dr- like I've seen in some of the UK cards, I know it's a little bit different, but them drinking on press row, it's like, well, oh, you can't it, do that. It drives me bananas. And not even just like how they act among, among fighters and, and, fan, and like all that stuff, but like I've seen people like, and the media were like talking to like John Morgan, just like talking to him. And John's like trying to write. And like that, like I'm sure you've done it because you're more, I know you're more well-known than me, which is like not a big, like I accept that. Um, Cause you're on camera, you get all the interviews, like get all the, you get the shout outs from John Anik on Twitter. I'm sure you get people coming up to you. Like I've been our friend, Jim Edwards. Like I was standing next to him in Las Vegas. And like these people came up to him and they're like, are you Jim Edwards? And I was like, he's like, yeah. And they like asked for a picture with him, which is cool. But a lot of these journalists I see will like, kind. Of, I don't want to say nag, but they kind of fanboy out for the Ariels and the Morgans and the Brett Akamoto's and everything. And to me, I wanted to establish myself as one of their peers. So like I just busted my butt and just kept showing up to every event. I did my job. And then eventually, like I was like, I am, I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it like you see a, this journalist like once or twice and then they just disappear from the back from the back room. And then after a while, I was just always there. I was always just doing my job. I was acting professional. And that's how you get accepted into the industry. You're just doing your job and you're being a professional. You're not like constantly going up like, hey, can I can I ask you this? Hey, can I get a picture? Like 
just do your job, do it the right way, do it professionally. And eventually people will take notice because you know how to conduct yourself. Yeah. Uh, so much to unpack there. First off, I don't think I'm that much. I don't think I'm famous, more famous than you are. I think we're, you know, kind of, it's, it's probably on par. I do, I do a lot of interviews, but like, I'm not at that point yet where I'm like, you know, getting recognized or people are like, you know, wanting to hang out. But uh, you did bring up something there about, um, you know, uh, people taking pictures and not, not there to work. I think I'm trying to remember if you were in the scrum for UFC 200, but like, um, or oh no, was it UFC 200? What was the, the event last year? Sorry. It was, it was last year. It was, uh, it was the Romero Whitaker card. I don't know if you were there for that one. Oh, but that it, was, Mike Dice was there for that one. Okay. So when we were there, there was a journalist who was like, literally like doing one of those like selfie, like, like things like, Oh, I'm here at the media scrum. But the thing, the problem was they were doing it while a fighter was there talking. So like, you're just like, what are you doing? And then I got another story too, and I'll tell you the name of this person off air. Someone who works for a very prestigious website uh, in, in our MMA media game uh, asked to take a picture with Ariel Hawani um, at an event I was covering. And it was like during like when the fighters were around and stuff. And oh, I remember thinking God. like, like, what are you There's doing? And this, and this person still, I still the odd time will see this person uh, taking photos. And I'll tell you who that is off air. But uh, it's just like, it drives me nuts. It's like, you got to be professional and you got to do work. Like, I'm glad you brought that up because like, you know, uh, in a lot of cases, like I know with you and me, especially, you know, when we go to events, like we don't have a camera crew or an editor or all these yeah. other people that are like helping to put stuff together. You're a one man show. So like, I see people there like watching the fights and you know, they'll, they'll film stuff and they're not editing the night of the fight. It's like, what are you doing? Like, are you just hanging out? Like you gotta, you know, you gotta do the work. So yeah, I've spent like, when I go to events, people are like, I, I know, you know, you know, this experience, like people are like, Oh, it's so cool. You get to go watch these fights and everything. I'm like, I probably looked at my computer screen 90% of that fight yeah. card, whether yeah. you're looking at a screen or interviewing a fighter and like, I'll be interviewing a fighter and then I'll have my hand over here, like hitting return and like typing to try and get this thing up. Cause like, it's timely. Like you gotta get, you gotta get it out now. And like, luckily in the past, probably last 12 months, I've gotten a cameraman more often than not. Like our friend, Mike Heck, that's been on the show. Uh, Dice and I would, would do a lot. Um, or I have friends that know from the journalism school that just like, hey, like I'm if there's a UFC event in Arizona, like I'd love to be your cameraman. Like just it'd be good for my reel. I'm like, yeah, come on. Like, you know how to conduct yourself. You went to ASU. But yeah, man, like at the end of the day, you got to do a job. And whether you're like whether you're there or not to like just pump pump yourself up, it's the people that do your job that just do their job the right way that are going to get remembered. And, and the thing too, I, and I tell this to a lot of people is that, you know, like, like in a lot of cases, well, pretty much all the cases, I, you know, you're paying your own way, your own way to go to the events. Yeah. So you got to look at it as an, as an investment. And I, I tell this to people too, you know, I, I think every, pretty much every gig that I've got in this industry, any paying gig that I've ever had to some degree was because I went to an event or I met someone or I networked, you know, like if you go there, you know, like you were saying, do the work when you're there, but you know, there, there's times when, you know, you're waiting in line uh, to get in when the media people are letting you in, you know, strike up a conversation, talk a bit, you know, talk, you know, try and get, you know, don't make it a sales pitch, but just be familiar, make sure people know who you are. And, you know, that's something I know you've done really well. Like when people see you, they know, they nod, they say hi, whatever that, yeah. that is really important. Yeah, just it's like you'd be surprised. When I was told this my freshman year of college, and I always remembered it, and it's so true. Like, you'd be surprised how much just a handshake. Just like, hello, how are you? Like, my first event, UFC 157, I got there before everybody. Like, I was so nervous that because I was just nervous, like, not to interview fighters or anything. Like, I was just, it's your first day at work. No matter what, like, you could be, it could be your first day as like a fried cook. You're going to be nervous. And I was the first one in line to get into the media room. And John Morgan shows up and he's like looking at me. He's like, this is weird. I'm usually the like, you know, Morgan's always the first one in line. And he's like, this is weird. Like, I'm like, I don't like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm, my name is Jose. It's like, nice to meet you. Like, like I work fairly in sports. He's like, oh, nice to meet you, man. And like, that was it. Like, I didn't fanboy out or nothing. Like inside, I was like, wow, that's John Morgan. Like, he's one of my favorite journalists. But like, you just got to act professional and then. Eventually, like maybe a few months ago when we were in Arizona, when in Arizona, I was like, do you remember the first time you met me, John? He goes, yeah, I was at UFC 137. We just shook hands. And I was like, exactly. Like you'd yeah. be surprised how far just how nice to meet you. We're going to go do a job together and not like freaking out over meeting someone goes in a long, it goes a long way. 
We're going to take a little sidestep here. Um, we got some questions in the chat here that I, that I wanted to get to. Uh, we got uh, our good friend Air, Ed uh, Car- Carbajal. I always pronounce his last name wrong. I apologize, Ed. But Ed does uh, work for SureDog, um, yeah. Miami News. You, you know Ed, exactly. Um, he says, uh, when, you think, uh, when do you think the wake-up call comes for those who fanboy out covering events? It seems like never, even when promotions ban or block them, that they fan out. I think it's one of those things where um, – I don't know, just answering that question from my perspective and I'll get your perspective. I think there, it's always going to be something that happens because this is an industry, unfortunately, where there is no requirement to go to school. There is no requirement to follow certain guidelines. I think people go in as fans and probably sometimes that, that sort of continues. And I think, I, I think honestly, like, just know that those people are frowned upon and they're, they're only hurting themselves. And, and I think it's not something you have to necessarily worry about. Like when I go to events, I don't worry about what other people are doing. I kind of just ignore it. So I do understand your frustration because there's lots of sure. people out there who want to cover events and, and they're not accredited. And then you have people who go there and kind of fan it up. What, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. And I always like when I see stuff, like if I know them personally or they work for fan sided, like if I ever, if I'm ever going to go cover an event with a fan sided person, like I, kind of tell them like i know i'm sure you know this but like just remember like don't act like this because we're here to be professional and the ufc has like ufc pr people have like brought it up to me like hey man like you can't have your cameraman act like that next time and i was like i totally get it like i've I'm, i've already had the conversation with him um if it's someone i know personally like i might pull them aside at the end just being like hey if you want to make this a, a job, you got to act a little more professionally. And 10 times out of 10, I've never had pushback. They're like, oh, thank, like, thank you like for the heads up. Um, it happens a lot more, at like, like you said, at like the UK shows or like Bellator or the World Series of Fighting where they're not as strict as a – there's not as big of a fence to get into the media room. Like they're not – they're a little more welcoming because they want, they, they want more coverage. And – it's getting better. It is getting better. They are, like as Bellator becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, they know how to act. Um, but like you said, it's always going to be a thing. And like I said earlier, those people eventually just disappear. Like they just eventually they just don't. They're not. You don't. You stop seeing them in the media rooms anymore. But it will always be a thing. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, we'll get to the questions at the end. So, guys, if you have more questions, we'll kind of do that uh, once we wrap things up closer to the end. But I do want to continue the story here. Um, one thing I wanted to know, I know that you had, obviously, media jobs uh, since you left uh, university. But uh, did you have a day job? Like, what was sort of paying the bills? Did, did you have another job on top of that, on top yeah. of the media stuff? Like, Because, you know, nobody gets into this industry to become a millionaire. No. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely not. Um, I worked for the Phoenix New Times, which is uh, like the Village Voice of New York or the the L.A. New Times. I can't remember what the it's not the L.A. Times, but the L.A. New Times or uh, stuff like that. It's a it's just like a pop culture magazine. They got like movie reviews and uh, uh, restaurant reviews and such. And they have a digital agency where it's like if you're a dentist and you need help with your marketing, like you can hire our agency. So I was on their social media team because like low key, I probably know more about the back end of Facebook than most people will know exists. So I was their Facebook guy for a long time. And then I moved to ranker.com, which was so fun because uh, I am a very big, very big comic book fan. Like that's that's kind of my gimmick to a lot. Of, a lot of people know me as a the MMA guy or a the comic book guy. So I moved to Ranker in LA and I was their social media, their Facebook guy, like their backend Facebook paid ads. And I was also their video host for their comic book series where I would like review comic books and such. And then from there, Dice, I met like at one point I was doing my job when I was covering an event. Like when I was in Las Vegas, I was doing some Ranker stuff on Facebook and Dice looks over my shoulder and he's like, uh, what is that? And I was like, oh, this is this is my day job. Like it's Facebook stuff. And he's like, Whoa. And I was like showing him like the back end of Facebook and he picked up the phone and called his boss. and was like, we got to get this guy to do Facebook for us. So like, while I am the managing editor of the MMA site, a fan site, and I'm also their, the social media specialist It's me uh, and Trevor Blake and our very good friend, Amy, just joined the squad. Like, saw we, that. Congrats to Amy, who was a guest yeah. on the show a couple weeks ago. Uh, yeah. I was about to bring that up. She's been awesome. She's been handling Twitter for us now. Uh, so it's us three run all of the social media for fan sided as well. So I do MMA and the social media stuff. So uh, Facebook is like outside of the MMA world. I've kind of been a hired gun for Facebook marketing for a few years, for a few years now. 
That, that's very cool. Um, so yeah, let, I mean, we might as well just stick here. So, you know, you get, you're working for fansided full time. Um, you know, that, that happens. When- At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When exactly did that happen? And how has that sort of changed your day to day? So I joined the fan-sided squad the day after UFC 200. So actually, the first article I ever wrote for Fanside was the UFC sale to WME IMG. Uh, So I was a freelance writer for them for uh, about a year before they brought me on full time through the social media. And then when Dice moved on to bigger and greater things at NBC Sports Chicago, uh, covering more than just MMA, uh, I kind of stepped up and they asked me if I wanted to become the managing editor. I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. Uh, so I've been with Fansided in some aspects since July 2016. And as of June 1st, which is in a few weeks, it will have been one year since I've been full-time at Fansided. So that's pretty much, yeah, July 16th to now, I've been involved in some part of Fansided. And so awesome. I'm making Sports Illustrated. So how has that transition been going from, I know you still do some writing and I know you still do some other stuff, but how has that been being a boss? Because I know it's a little bit different than just being a, you know, a freelancer. How has that been sort of managing people and you know, having to remind people to do stuff and everything like that? It, was, it wasn't as hard as I thought because I kind of did a little bit at the MMA corner. Like I, at the MMA corner, I was the one that would try and get people to, to get, cover events. Uh, so I had, I've, like, I've done that a, a bunch. Uh, and I'll say this. The squad at Fanside MMA made the transition so much easier because they're so they just know like like we said they do their job and they do it well like Mike Heck, Amy Kaplan, Kristen King, um, Nicole Bosco, like Sammy that just joined on, Spencer just joined on, like they know what they're doing to the point where like I don't have to remind them like hey let's get this interview in hey we need this and like they know what to do so. Me becoming their quote-unquote boss, I was a little nervous how they take it, but they made it so easy because we just – we're well – like you're in our Slack channels. Like we're just a well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. Like someone will be like, I'm going to write this. And then someone's like, oh, I'm going to write this and link back to your site. I'm like, this is awesome. Like I don't have to remind someone to do this because they just know what to do. So it was not as hard as I expected. Um, I know you've had some uh, issues with, you know, people coming on board, like, uh, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, incidents and stuff. How has that been? We don't have to mention the person, but I know you've had, you know, to deal with uh, people who, you know, you you bring on and then things don't work out. Like, like, how has that been just having to deal with, because you're, you're, you know, you potentially have that later on, you know, with employees and everything. Is that something you're getting used to? It's, it's what I expected it because at the end of the day, they are freelancers and I have never turned down someone, like someone applies to write for us. I've never been, no. Like, absolutely not, because I give him a shot. Like, for all we know, we could have the next Ariel Hawani or the next James Lynch, like, just wants an, another shot. And I was like, yeah, come on. Like, uh, Kristen King is a perfect example. Like, she's awesome. And I had never heard of her because she wasn't really doing much in the MMA world, but she's awesome. Mike has his podcast. He's blown up. So, like, all these people that were no names, I like, they got a shot, and they're killing it. So I never turned someone down. Whether they're good, I don't want to say good, whether they fit the fan-sided, like they gel with the fan-sided squad or not, we eventually learn. But I've never had a problem where the issues weren't fixable. Mm-hmm. So if someone, is do, if someone does something uh, that, I, that, isn't, that isn't how fan-sided does it, because at the end of the day, like you guys write for Fightful, and that's like you guys run that site, fan-sided is owned by time and Meredith. So it's like if we mess up, if they, if there's an issue, like it's 
it'll come down hard from t- like Time Magazine and Time Inc. will will find out about it. So we have issues that we ha- we could have bigger issues than most sites have to deal with. Like we can't use certain images. Like we have to use Getty images. We can only use the ones that we have in our uh, subscription base or. Uh, we can't upload unless you took the photo yourself for fan side. We can't use it. Like it's there are things that we have to remember. We can't use that other sites don't have to worry about. So that's, but all of it is very fixable. So if someone doesn't write a certain way or uses like, doesn't follow the rules, like everything has to go through me. Like they write it, they submit it to me and I edit it. And then I'll go sit down and just literally go sentence by sentence. And, Nine times out of 10, the next article they submit, it's all fixed. It's all good. So I've never had a problem where nothing was unfixable. And so, which is why, like, if you want to write for fansided, come on over because we'll, we'll happily take anyone. So where would people find information? If people are watching this, they're aspiring, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they're writing for a smaller site and they're looking to join the fansided team. Uh, you know, not that I'm trying to turn this into a sales pitch, but we do have a great team. Uh, where, where would people go about uh, getting, getting, uh, applying? You can literally just go on the fansided.com. It's at the very bottom. There's like a thing that says write for us. Or if you go to the about section, there's a literally a button that says write. And say you're watching this because you just like MMA. But the great thing about fansided is like when I was writing freelance, like I could also write about the Red Sox if I wanted to. You're not pigeonholed. So like Amy Kaplan writes about MMA and she's awesome. But then she's like such a huge mark for the Dodgers but like she'll write about the Dodgers and the fan side and like fan sided editors are like, hell yeah. Like Amy, we know you're a good MMA writer. We'll give you a shot at the Dodgers and she kills it every time. So you're not pigeon. It's not just an MMA site. Like you can literally write about anything you want on fan. Like you can write about game of Thrones on fan side. Uh, so it's, it's awesome, man. Like if you want to write about anything, it's fan side. It's awesome about that. One thing we haven't talked about here is being in this industry, it takes a toll, uh, not just on, you know, the hours of sleep and, and all these other things and, you know, putting in extra hours, but your social life. How have you been able to navigate through that with, uh, you know, having late nights, you know, having UFC yeah. events on weekends? How How's that gone? It's like sad. Like, as you know, like you don't have a life on fight nights. You don't have yeah. a life on Saturday nights, especially on the East Coast, where like when I, I forgot about when I went to UFC 223 in Brooklyn, like I re- forgot how spoiled we are on the West Coast, where we left the arena at like four in the morning. Yep, just like I'm like, man, I don't like when I was living in Providence doing this, or I was like, man, I don't miss this at all. Or like when I and then I remember the UFC on Fox in San Jose. It was like the Benson Henderson Gilbert Melendez fight. There was like eleven knockouts or eleven stoppages on the, and it was a Fox card. We left the arena at like eight thirty p.m. <laughs> Now, like, this is like this is great. And then you go to Brooklyn, it's like four in the morning. The buses aren't running. The trains aren't running. It's freezing outside. So, yeah, you don't have a social life on Saturday or Sunday or Friday. And uh, I made I told myself years ago that I could choose one or the other. Like, I want to do MMA media full time. And yet there's going to have to be like any journalism, not just MMA. Anyone's going to have to make sacrifices like. Imagine being a baseball beat writer where it's every day or like a football beat writer where, yeah, you get the weeks, but then you have the combine and the draft and the, the owners meetings, like the winter meetings and ever, or the summer meetings and everything there. So I told myself years ago, that if I want to be in the media, like I understand there are going to be sacrifices. So yeah, it did. It, it sucks, but it didn't really bother me as much because I knew it was coming because I sat like at ASU, for example, paid, one thing I'll always remember is like Pedro Gomez came to talk about it to our class. And he was like, if you like going out at night and spending time with your friends, like don't do this job. <laughs> and true. I was like, true. I was like, that's so true. So like he and Pedro Gomez is like one of my favorite journalists of all time. Like as a Hispanic writer, it doesn't get much higher than Pedro Gomez. So like when he said that, I was like, yeah, it's, I told myself that a long time ago. So, and to the fact that someone that's made it so big in the industry also says that years later, like, I just knew it was coming. So it wasn't that big of a deal to me. Yeah, you brought up New York. Actually, I have a kind of a funny story there. First off, I, next time I go cover a New York event, I'm not even going to bother getting the hotel night on the Saturday because like the last three times I've gone. So UFC 205, I was that. I was at Bellator, NYC, and then I was at obviously 223, like I just mentioned there. I haven't slept. I had to stay up the whole night because that damn press conference goes so late. 
So what happened this time was I uh, the press conference finishes. It's like pitch blackout. Me and uh, the two other media guys I was with, we actually got lost. We uh, we ended up finding our hotel. So we got back a little bit late. I got a car service, which took me from just a little bit cheaper, takes me from my hotel to the airport. I was flying into Newark to go back to Toronto, uh, Toronto Island, because the Toronto Island airport's like a block away from my, my condo. So I just, you know, go and, and walk down there. It's pretty convenient. So I get in, the, I get in the car service, put my bags in. And of course, I start to fall asleep because, you know, I've been up all day. Uh, my car gets in an accident. Uh, so there, there's some guy, I guess, on one of the bridges or whatever. I guess he like stopped or something. And then like my the, the car I was in like crashed. It wasn't anything too serious. Like they just sort of bumped into the guy there. But I just remember waking up and being like, I'm in a car accident. And you don't know the worst part is my first thought was not am I OK? My first thought is, am I going to make my flight home on time? So luckily it was it was all good. We ended up, uh, you know, they, they ended up uh, looking at the situation. It was like two cars that ended up hitting each other or whatever uh, ahead of us. So, uh, yeah, there was like a good 10 minutes. And then, yeah, I made it to the airport, made my flight, got home. And uh, made it on time, but uh, never a dull moment in New York. I just oh, my God, man. I've never experienced that. But I've done the whole uh, check out of your hotel Saturday, bring your suitcase to the fights. And yeah. then, like, in Vegas, I would have camera equipment, so I would fly with my camera. Because only a 45-minute flight from uh, Phoenix to Vegas. So I would just take my stuff, go to the airport at, like, 1 in the morning, and then my plane would leave at, like, 4.30 in the morning to sleep for a couple hours in the airport, and then 45-minute flight home. Uh, Brooklyn was the same way. It's like, but I've trained back to Providence for, I think it was someone's, I think my, someone's birthday. So I went, I trained back to Providence at like 9am and we got out at 4am. So I just went like straight to the train. I was like, forget this, like no, like all that stuff. So it was, I've been there, man, but never in a car accident. That's, that's nuts. I've never, that's I, I, yeah, I've never really been in one. It was just my driver, I guess, didn't like, didn't expect the other car. I guess what happened was the car ahead of us. Uh, there was a car ahead of that. It ended up uh, like stopping abruptly. So that car hit that car. And then our car hit that, that as well. I mean, I was fine. Like it was, I was in the backseat. It was a tri- it was an SUV. So it was, it was all good, but it's still like, I just remember waking up and being like, wow, I'm in a car accident. That's kind of weird. That's but anyways, always, always good stories uh, with these uh, covering these events. Um, what's your day-to-day look like? Uh, you live on the West coast and a lot of stuff happens on the East coast. Um, so I think you were telling me off air, you know, you, you get up around five, like what does a typical day look like for you? So I wake up at 5 a.m., 4.30 a.m. every day. I have an alarm just to check what's happening in the world, uh, whether it's like especially trades. Like I was, t- I was telling you off air, like I was visiting. I can't remember when the trade happened, but I was in Rhode Island. for. Actually, it might have been before UFC 220. Uh, 220? That was – yeah, 220 was in Ghana, Stipe. Uh, I was there, and I was going to go to that, and I was in Providence seeing my family. Uh, and then Jay Ajayi, the running back for the Dolphins, got traded to the Eagles. And that was at like 7 in the morning, East Coast time. And I was like, wow. Like, imagine if, like, the people on the West Coast, like, it's a good thing I'm here now because I can do all the social media for this for fan-sided, right? Like, right this second at 7 a.m. And the West Coast writers aren't even awake yet. Uh, so I set my alarm, especially for the Olympics. Oh, my gosh, man. Like, I – like – no issue with this sport at all. Like, I think it's perfectly fine. But watching curling like, <laughs> two in the morning, I'm like, let's move it along. Or, like, luckily, like, the, like the, when the women's hockey won for the U.S., uh, uh, it was an exciting game. So, like, I was kind of, like, on an adrenaline. But, like, watching, like, the biathlon, I'm just like, oh, my God, let's get this over with. Uh, but, yeah, I wake up. I have weird hours. I'll stay up late. Luckily, for, like, Monday Night Football, they, it ends at, like, 11 o'clock our time as opposed to the East Coast where it's, like, it ends at 1 in the morning. Uh, but I wake up very early just in case, and I go to bed pretty normal time just because I have to wake up early. And Fanside, it does have an office in Arizona. So, like, I'll go to the office a lot to uh, to get some work done. But, yeah, I wake up before the sun gets up just to see what's happening in the world of sports. That's good. I'm the same way. But mind you, I've, even before I, I became a dad, I had to, I was still up early because I just, you know, get to the gym, make sure your day's going yeah. well. And then, and then I'm like that old guy who goes to bed at like nine o'clock. I, well, usually it's a little bit later now, but, but I just, cause you need those eight hours. It's important. So yeah, yeah man, especially with media when you're like, I can't like, I've never had this, but like I've talked to journalists where they're like, they've been interviewing like a minor league baseball player that they have to interview they know it's not going to do a lot of numbers, but like that's their assignment. And they're like, I've had one hour of sleep and I'm interviewing this guy. And I'm, you're just like, and then you like snap up. And I'm like, I've never had that. And I never want to experience falling asleep while interviewing a fighter. That would be bad. So yeah, I agree with you on eight hours. 
Uh, one thing I wanted to touch on before we get to questions, uh, the big news last week, Ariel Hawani going to ESPN, uh, kind of out of left field. I don't think anyone really expected this. And, um, you know, just it, it's very interesting. I'll, I'll give my take on it in a sec. But first, your reaction when you heard the news and what do you think the future holds for MMA fighting just as a fellow media member? Oh, man, it's that it caught me off guard. Him going to ESPN didn't surprise me, I, but I thought it was going to be something similar to his Fox Sports gig at the time where he was like he would be like there uh, on the scenes like for weigh-ins and backstage interview for fight nights and everything. And then at the same – while he was doing that, he was also doing his pod – like MMA Hour and still working for MMA Fighting. I didn't think he would – I didn't – I didn't think he'd go ESPN 100%, but – I have no like Ariel's always been very nice to me. Like he's mm-hmm. asked me how like as a Red Sox fan, like him, he's a he's an Expos fan, obviously. So like I would always bring up the Pedro Martinez trade mm-hmm. uh, when Pedro Martinez come into the Red Sox, and he his son's named Walter, and I after Walter Cronkite, and I went to the Walter Cronkite school, uh, so he was like really excited to know some like he because he went to the Syracuse school. So when I first met him, it was right after I graduated the Walter Cronkite School. So he's always been like friendly to me. I've never really asked him for anything because I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be the fanboy like we talked about, but right. he's always been friendly with me and he said it was his dream. So like, I'm happy for him. Like, I think it's good for the sport that ESPN is going all in on MMA. I have no idea what's going to happen at MMAfighting.com. Uh, my good friend, Sean Alshadi, uh, who lives in Arizona, also a former Sun Devil, uh, I asked him and he didn't really have an answer. Um, I'm sure they're working. Maybe he did. He just, obviously I didn't want to press it, but uh, he seemed confident. They was like Mark, pretty much what Mark Raimondi tweeted. Like there's some, like something's in the works, like more information will coming out, like pretty much the same response. Uh, But I think they have a big enough following that they'll be fine. I'd love Sean's great. Mark's great. Dave's great. Like Esther and Casey are two, not just MMA, but Esther and Casey are two of the best in all of the sports, like in terms of coming, covering uh, events with photography and video. But MMA fighting will be, I think will be fine. Losing Ariel is a big deal, obviously, but hey, good for Ariel for getting, hey, getting paid. I'm, I don't know what he's getting. I don't think anyone knows what he's getting paid outside of Ariel and his inner circle nor does it really interest me to know how much he's been paid because that's none of my business. But if he's getting paid, I think it's good for the industry as a whole if people are paying MMA media good money these days. I agree. And he was the guy for the job. I mean, if you look at the most recognizable figure in this, yeah. in this sport as far as covering uh, media, he's the guy for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like if I'm running a, if I'm running a site and someone goes, here's a blank check, get someone, I'm like, it's got to be Ariel. Whether you yeah. like – whether – if you're a fan of the sport, whether you like his interview style or not, he is the most recognizable. And so, like, he's the guy you would have to go after. My quick take on this is a couple things. First off, it seemed to me like the site was structured around Ariel in the sense that you have people uh, who basically are paid to transcribe all of his content on the MMA hour, which is six hours. So if you take that away... Um, you know, if the MMA hour goes away, that's a big void to fill. Now, they, you know, who's going to replace them? Is it Luke Thomas? Luke Thomas is with Sirius. They'd have to throw him some serious money, no pun intended, to uh, bring him out of uh, Sirius to get him to host the show. Um, you know, who, who really stands out as far as broadcasters? I mean, there, there isn't that many. So I'm curious to see if they if they go that route or do they get rid of the show and they maybe go, uh, you know, just focus on the guys that they have and get them to interview fighters and they do sort of their own thing. Because it seemed to me like the majority of the interviews were coming from Ariel. So that's why I'm curious to see how it goes. I have no doubt i mean they certainly have a talented roster i get that it's just there it seemed like the whole site for years have been structured around that show and uh if, if they get rid of it i'm curious to see how they adapt and if, if they keep it you know is that same person going to have the same connections that ariel does because ariel was getting you know the, the top top of the line guests so so i'm curious to see how, how this sort of unfolds but it will affect all of us in the end because if someone ends up replacing ariel or if someone doesn't and they go a different way they might be hiring other people it's it's really going to have an impact so i'm i'm curious i when i saw the news i thought you know wow that's that's really interesting it really sort of switches things around a little bit so we'll we'll sort of uh, to be continued on that one and uh, sorry, and i forgot this when we were talking about my when, how i first started and i had this i had this story in the back of my head i was going to bring up and you brought up luke thomas and this isn't connected to ariel at all but this is a really interesting story about how I got in the MMA industry. Um, so when I worked for Arizona Sports, and this is, apologies for backtracking. I, I wanted no, to bring no, this up. Um, talk about whatever you want. Uh, 
I wrote my first, I wrote this piece where I fought this kid. I, I went through a fight camp kind of thing and I fought this prospect, Jake Watson. Uh, and like Ryan Bader was the ref and Aaron Simpson was my corner man. And like, he beat the soul out of me. Like he, like I, I went in, like he, there's a video on it. Like I'm not ashamed of the video. Like he, it was bad. Like it was like, he's like, he was like, this was going to be his, like he was pursuing fighting as a lifestyle. And I was just a writer. So he beat my, he kicked my ass. Uh, big, worst concussion I ever had. Like, don't like, he's so cool. He's like such a cool kid. And he has his YouTube channel and everything. Um, but I wrote about that experience. I wrote like a, like maybe like 800 words on it. And I had to convince Arizona sports to let me write that. And they were like, yeah, sure, whatever. And then I wrote it and I don't know how he found it, but Luke Thomas found the article and tweeted it out saying like, this is a fascinating take on like, a, like anyone who says they know how to fight, like you should read this. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like Luke, Luke's a cool guy and I respect his work. Like I'm glad he recognized. And I was like 20 at the time. Um, but what I couldn't, I forgot, I, I realized that it was good that he tweeted it just because I, for me, it was like, he's a peer that I want to be with and he recognized it, but like his Twitter followers saw it. So that was the number one read article for the whole weekend. And then Arizona Swartz was like, wow, like you can write about MMA as much as you want now because that one article did so well. So the first time I met Luke, I was like, this is going to be weird, but you are literally the only reason I'm allowed to cover MMA. And he was like confused. And I told him the story and he's like, that is the best story I've ever heard in my life. So like to this day, when I see Luke, he's like, Jose, another event, you're welcome. And I was like, dude, you don't even know. You don't even know how much I owe to you just for a simple like tweet. Like he, he's the reason he's, indirectly the reason i can i'm allowed to cover mma full-time pretty much that is an awesome story that's why i like getting uh, guests here on the show because I, I learned stuff like this that i probably it, wouldn't have uh, heard if you and i were having beers so this is it's uh, this is it's like i whether like whether you like luke or not i owe so much to that for just a tweet and he didn't even know what he was doing like at the time i didn't know it was going to be like this but i tell i bring it up every time i see him all right, we got a bunch of questions to get to, and uh, we're approaching the one-hour mark uh, soon in about five minutes. So we'll, we'll just kind of get through these and uh, see how it goes here. And I know you got a bunch of stuff to do. Um, uh, we got Dean D in the chat. Uh, got to give Dean a shout out. He always watches the show and my other podcast. So Dean, uh, thanks for watching and submitting questions. He says, "Sports Illustrated is the staple of sports world. For, is the staple of uh, the sports world for years? How receptive was SI about MMA? Do they look at MMA as a niche or more like a spectacle than a sport? I mean, SI has been covering MMA for a while. It, it's changed over the years, but yeah. uh, you know now it's uh, you know." You know, it's, I think it's pretty much accepted at this point for the MMA section anyways. Yeah, it is accepted. Uh, they do like if we get like fan side and SI MMA get so many exclusives like you got the like gay guard one we did a write up on uh, for, for stuff like that. Uh, it's they accept it. But at the end of the day, like I understood that we weren't going to get the same coverage as the NFL. Like during the NFL, during the NBA trade deadline, like nothing else matters. So like we could have the best piece of content. And I could be like, hey, if you want to use this, go ahead for the front page. But then, like, Gordon Hayward gets like, signs with the Celtics. Like, <laughs> I understand. I get it. Like, working in media, I get it. Like, the NFL and the NBA are higher than MMA. But they they're, are much more accepting of it than they were in the past. Dean also asked, do you both think that certain media acting unprofessional shapes how the UFC perceives the media? It has been said through the years that the UFC believes the media is a type of PR machine for them. Um. I mean, the UFC has strict guidelines, so I think they try and weed out who they can. But, uh, I mean, the UFC knows if someone's acting dumb. Yeah, and, like, they've, quote-unquote, like, banned plet people. I'm not we're, I'm not talking about banned, but they just don't approve them anymore. Like, if they're – if they don't act professional one time, the next time a writer will – or a journalist will apply, they'll just say, hey, you've been um, – your application just hasn't been approved. So, like, it's basically just, like, one strike, you're out. So, yeah, like you said, they weed out the people. But uh, I don't think it changes how they view the media. I just think it changes how they view that that specific outlet. I agree. Uh, we've got behind-the-scenes MMA asking, guys, are you members of the MMAJA? What are the benefits of participating in the association? I'm not a member. Uh, are you? I believe you are a member, are you not? I am a member of the MMAJA. And uh, I, it's very new uh, from what I, I – I was actually sitting with John Morgan one uh, if the site launched and it was like, it was a cool thing. Uh, as terms of benefits, I, I haven't had to pursue anything or I'd know anyone that had needed 
anything. And it's it's so new. Like when the site launched, it wasn't even like there was like so much traffic on it at once. It like crashed. So I would say I think the site, the big site launched in April and it's only June. Or it's about to be June. So it's very the site's new. The MMA, the elections just ended. So uh, I, I know it'll they'll, there will be benefits. I just haven't seen them yet just because it's it's not even six months old yet. Yeah, and, and if you guys get the chance, go watch my interviews with Josh Gross and with Dan Stepp. Uh, they, they sort of talk all about the ins and outs of the MMAJA. If you want yeah, I'm by no means the right person to ask what about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, no, it's, there's, there. there's still more work to be done. So we'll, we'll sort of see what happens there. Uh, Stone Osborne uh, says, so with time putting those barriers up, is it harder to cover MMA in the Arizona market since you have to travel to Vegas or Cali for the events? Does geography affect the ease of coverage? Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure what he means by barriers. Let me just look here. He says... He says he starts out by saying the Phoenix News Times is amazing. They've killed Joe Apayo for years. I don't know who that is. Joe, Joe Arpaio is Ar- Arpaio. Uh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Sheriff of Maricopa County. He was he said, a, a controversial figure. Okay, so he, he says he helped push the legalization for medical marijuana in Arizona. He says PNT is a dope publication. Always thought of them as vice for Arizona. Yeah, I mean that's a good that's a good way to describe them. But in terms of like barriers, I think living on the West Coast makes it a little easier to cover stuff in general. Because like like you said, they, the UFC is a Las Vegas based company, so a lot of their stuff is centered around the Las Vegas area and Las Vegas time. Or they'll have open workouts or media or press conferences. It's always in Las Vegas, and I'm only a four hour drive or four hour flight away. Uh, so it's. I think living on the West Coast is easier. But again, like if you're going to live on the East Coast, I'd probably do like Toronto like you did or New York like Ariel does where if they do have events, those are the markets they're going to hit. Um, Dean D also asked, how do you and the MMA media stay up during all hours of the fight night is beyond me. That can't be good on your bodies. Napping, a pre, pre-day nap. That, that's, that's a key. I always get a nap in. Coffee. Yeah. I'm a five cup a day man. Yeah. Um, Ed saying five hour energy. I love five hour energy. Oh, I'm too much coffee in my body. My blood's yeah. basically all coffee. At this do you point. have Do you have coffee every day? Every day, three to four yeah, cups. I have it. I have it like maybe two times a week, three times a week. That's it. I go to bed. It's so bad. I go to bed being like, oh man, I get coffee in nine hours. <laughs> I'm like excited to get coffee in the morning. Yeah, no, that that's interesting. Uh, Jim Jim says, uh, "What is ESPN going to do when there's five first round knockouts and they book three hours of time? Are they going to stall the show?" I'm sure I, I they're going to do what Fox Sports does, where they'll take a fight off the fight pass. Like the UFC Chile was the same way; they took fights off the fight pass in the FS2 prelims and just re-aired them uh, to fill time. I'm sure that's going to be the exact same way. Ed also says, "Do you guys think Hilwani working at ESPN and having it exclusive home to the UFC with with uh, will be more drama? Will be more Dana White anti Hilwani drama?" Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know more, but it's like there, there's drama there anyway. But like with with ESPN having Brett and Ariel, like they're gonna get a ton of the scoops. Like those are the two names people always like. According to Ariel Hawani or according to Brett Akamoto, this is what's happening. So uh, I'm sure the and now that ESPN and UFC have that deal again, now I'm sure they're gonna have to grit their teeth and work together, whether they want to or not. I'm sure they're they. I know Dana and Ariel are going to realize they're going to have to work together. Uh, Dean also says, I also think that Ariel's contract with Vox was up in June. I hope Sean or Mark will take over the MMA hour. Yeah, we'll see. The thing with both those guys, though, is and as talented as they are, they're, they're more writers. You know, like I've yeah. seen Mark and Sean do on camera stuff, but they're not really known as broadcasters. And yeah. as someone who does a lot of video interviews, I can tell you it's, it's a different skill. And I wouldn't want to try and write a long form either. You know, like everyone's right. got their, their sort of their bread and butter. So like, I think Mark is one of the best, like pure journalists out there yeah. in all of MMA. Like if you need to like, cover a like legal proceeding like mark's your guy like he's an old school journalist that can just get that will do the job and sean is one of the best long-form writers i've ever read in my entire life so yeah i don't know if they'll be a podcaster um dean also says i also think oh yeah no at uh so Oddboard saying chuck mendenhall take the reins yeah i love chuck chuck's one of the nicest guys you'll, you'll meet uh, as well but again not a broadcaster i mean that that's the thing like all these guys i think they're i think if vox is going to bring someone in to host the mma hour it's going to be someone that has broadcasting experience that's yeah. known for it i know these guys do the preview show sometimes or they're on the mma beat or whatever but it's different hosting a show for six hours getting multiple guests like luke kind of does that now like with his show like he but I mean, it's not six hours but it, it kind of is over the 
the spread of five days a week. So I think Luke is probably the most well-equipped. To me, Luke is your number one pick. If you're if you're doing a draft right now for the MMA hour, Luke is your number one pick. Yeah, that's a no. He's he's on Vox. Like just take over, just take his show over to MMA fighting. But whether he wants to or not is another story. Uh, Jim Jim's also asking, do you think ESPN will be better than Fox Sports? I have no idea. Here's the problem, though. I'm I'm a Canadian, so I don't see a lot right. of ESPN programming. I guess you'd be speak better to this. I mean, I have, I don't, I grew up watching ESPN. So that is the, that's the holy grail of like, if you want to work in sports media, like that's where you want to work. Um, uh, I think they're going to go through growing pains early. Like Fox, like Fox did. Uh, I don't know whether they'll be better. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how they handle like the, the ESPN plus cards or who will be their host at the beginning. Uh, I am very curious their presentation because a lot of their presentation Fox created like those cameras and those graphics at the bottom and everything. Like I want to see how they look, but I don't, I don't think they'll be better. They'll probably be different. I should say. We're going to leave things off here. What is the best advice you would give someone, especially now as a managing editor that you give to someone that's looking to cover this crazy sport that we call mixed martial arts? Just, I can't express that you just work so hard. Like you might not be the best writer, but if you're willing to just bust your butt, like I've read articles that aren't the best written article, but like they're these writers are like, I'll take it. Like you need someone to write this. I'll take it. Like, don't feel like you're not just because you're, you might, if you don't lack the confidence to write, try, just try, just work hard and be professional and people will recognize like you're, you're like, you know it, I know it. Just do, just do your job. And like growing up in Patriots country, that's all you hear. Do your job. That's the Patriots logo and motto. And that's, I can't express that enough. Just do your job and do it professionally. Uh, you got a lot of events you're, you're covering. Uh, you can definitely plug all that. But one thing I wanted to ask you before uh, you, you sort of plug things here. Um, are, am I going to see you at International Fight Week this year? Or are you skipping yes. this one? You absolutely, I, you absolutely will. I'll be at, I'll be at UFC Utica. Uh, I'll be at UFC Chicago. Uh, I'll be at, International Fight Week for the Tough and UFC 226. And then UFC 227 in Los Angeles, I will also be at. So I'll be at the next three pay-per-views and the UFC Utica card and the nice. Tough show. And I guess, yeah, well, you, you wouldn't go to the Calgary card, right? Um, I wish I was going to the Calgary card. I got to get my passport up. I got to redo my get it up. I'm going because uh, I actually have a wedding to go to uh, back home in uh, BC. And uh, I'm going to just stay with my parents for like a couple days. And then I'm flying to Calgary because it's only like an hour and 30 flights. So I'm, I'm trying to, Danny, our friend Danny Austin has been trying to get me to go up there too. Yeah. So he'll be there. But like, I love Danny, uh, but I, I'm going to try whether it happens or not. I'm going to try. Good stuff, man. Jose, this was a blast, man. Uh, so good getting a chance to talk to you and uh, getting your story out there. Uh, just remind people where they can find you on social media and anything you got coming up for fansided, anything we should be checking out, by all means, the floor is yours, man. Yeah, you can follow me at Jose Young's, J-O-S-E-Y-O-U-N-G-S, on pretty much every social media vertical out there. I believe I'm the only Jose Young's on planet Earth. Uh, so if there is, like, contact me because I want to know what the origin of your name uh as Conor McGregor once called me I'm because my last name is Irish I'm a Hispanic Celt so <laughs> if uh if there's a another Jose Young's hit me up but yeah for fa- as far as fan sided all the coverage we got we got the James Lynch videos Mike Heck Spencer Kristen Amy are just plowing these long form uh exclusives out uh we're gonna have a this awesome and for non-MMA stuff, we're having this awesome hub for the NBA draft that I've seen. And I am so excited for people to see it because it looks awesome. So the NBA draft's coming up. So just stay tuned for that on Fansided. Good stuff. Uh, and you guys can always follow me on Twitter at Lynch on Sports. I got tons of content for UFC Liverpool coming up here this Saturday. An interview with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I got Eric Spicely, Elias Theodoro, Jillian Robertson, Jason Knight. Uh, Manny Bermudez, Gina Mazzani, and Molly McCann. I've also got a Pros Picks video for Wonderboy Thompson and uh, Darren Till. Um, I did a bunch of interviews this past week. Uh, check it out on Fansided and Sports Illustrated for uh, PFL. They've got their event coming up, so go. I pretty much interviewed a good chunk of fighters on that card. And Dana White's Contender Series has been doing a lot of content for them, too. So check that out as well. And quick programming note, guys. Hate to, hate to bring this up, but uh, I'm going to be away for the next two weeks. I've got a wedding to go to on Saturday, and I'm going to be away for two weeks. It's actually in Ireland, so uh, I'm going to be checking out Ireland for the first wow. time. So uh, I'm not even going to bother doing any work. I'll have my laptop with me, but I'm going to try and not do any interviews or anything like that. So I'll be just uh, you know, taking care of little loose ends, but no industry podcast for two weeks. I'll be back likely after UFC 225 that week. I'll be doing uh, the industry podcast again, but I appreciate you guys watching. And uh, just stay tuned. Uh, follow me on Twitter, like I said, uh, to keep updates, uh, get updates 
updates and all that. And uh, thanks, everyone, for watching. We'll see you in two weeks.